and welcome back to the Looking After Nature podcast. I'm Karima, one of the Nature Recovery Officers at Hampshire Countryside Service. On today's podcast, I'm going to be talking to Catherine from Hampshire Swifts. We're going to be talking a bit about this extraordinary bird, why they're so important to people who live in Hampshire. I'm hoping that Catherine will tell us what makes Swifts so special and what we can do to help them thrive. I'm personally quite a big fan of swifts. I love birds, all birds, but swifts, I just think, are absolutely amazing when you see them in the summer just darting about the skies like little jet planes. So I'm really looking forward to talking to her. So, Catherine, could you tell us a little bit about Hampshire Swifts? Hampshire Swifts was set up in 2016 with the aim of trying to reverse the decline of swifts that have happened in Hampshire and across the whole of the UK. And our aim really is to try and spread awareness of Swift's plight, the fact that they're declining so much, but also very importantly, to try and preserve existing nest sites and establish lots of new nest sites to help Swift's find somewhere to breed. So is it part of a wider network of other Swift's groups? It is. It, just... it belongs to, we belong to an organisation called the Swift's Local Network, which is literally a network of Swift groups all around the country. And I think there are nearly 40 groups now all around the country. So we can all share questions and support each other as to how we help Swift's. So can you tell me a little bit about why you're all so interested in Swift's? Why Swifts? Well, I think personally, and I know that's shared by many other people, that Swifts are just amazing birds. They're, they're unique in many ways. The fact that they're almost entirely aerial, they do everything on the wing, pretty much. They sleep, breed, feed on the wing, well not breed, mate on the wing. They only land, in fact, to nest. And they're absolutely unusual in that respect. And they have the most amazing flying skills. They're superb flyers. They're the fastest bird in level flight. And the characteristic of them is their ability to form what's known as screaming parties. When they come to this country to breed or other countries, they zoom down streets near where they're breeding, screaming. And I think that's the most exhilarating noise. It always fills me with joy when I hear it. And I think that's one of the things that makes Swifts appeal to lots of my colleagues, because <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's such a happy noise somehow. Yeah, I've heard them described as a jet plane before. They're like little jet planes, really, you know, aerodynamic and very fast. They're incredibly aerodynamic. I think I think personally think they're much more beautiful than jet planes and not as polluting, obviously, but they are just stunning. When you watch them fly, they're incredibly fast and they leave and go and enter their nests at great speed. So it's very easy to miss where they're nesting when you watch them. They're just just stunning flyers. So can you tell us a bit about what a swift looks like and how you would identify one? Well, I think the best way is to tell is to look at their wings. They've got very long scimitar shaped wings. So a wonderful sort of curved wing. Their wings are, are quite different from swallows and sand martins and house martins, which people often confuse them with. And they're also almost entirely dark, whereas swallows and martins have white or blue on them. Swifts are entirely dark, apart from a little tiny grey patch under their chin, which you don't really notice unless you see them in close up. So it's their darkness that is the best way that, that, to identify them. That and the scimitar-shaped wings and the speed with which they fly too. They're much faster than swallows and house martins. 
So they look black, don't they, when you see them in the sky? They but do. They're, not they're very dark. Black. It's actually a very dark brown, but they do look black when you see them, yes, in the sky, yeah. definitely. You've touched on that there, that they look very similar to swallows and house martins. Swallows have that wonderful red, rusty face and they have blue on them and house martins have quite a lot of white on them. House martins look more like little killer whales in their appearance. So they're different. They are quite distinct, but people do often get them muddled up. Yeah. And I mean, they're all very much aerial birds, aren't they? So if you want to see any of these species that we've been talking about, you need to be looking up into the sky, don't you? And be looking for these small birds that are doing a lot of aerial sort of flying. Yes, you do. Unlike swallows and house martins, you never see a swift on the ground or on a telephone wire unless they've had an accident. They do get grounded sometimes, but Mm. they can't perch unlike swallows and house martins. So whereas swallows and house martins will land in order to pick up nest material, swifts can't do that. They have to gather all their nest material in the air because they have tiny little feet that are very suitable for hanging onto vertical surfaces like bricks or wall or a cliff, but they can't perch. So they can't land in a tree and they certainly can't land on phone wires the way you see swallows do. If they don't ever land, then how do they sleep and how do they eat? They eat entirely on the wing by just catching insects in their mouth. They've got the most enormous gape. If you see them with an open mouth, it is enormous, almost like a basking shark in bird terms, really big. And they just gather lots of tiny, tiny insects as they fly around. They do land, but only to nest. They don't land to mate. They mate on the wing, but they have to land in order to lay their eggs, obviously, and to nest. It's easy to see why, you know, you guys are so passionate about them. So you mentioned they sometimes might land on the ground for some reason. Are they able to take off again when that happens? No, usually they only land on the ground by mistake. It's an accident. Say sometimes if they have obstructions in front of their nest site, they might accidentally crash land. And when they're leaving the nest for the first time, when they're fledging, sometimes chicks will fledge prematurely and they actually aren't able to fly properly. And in those cases, they will land on the ground. And that can be a disaster for them because they can't take off from the ground without help. So if you find a swift on the ground, if it looks an adult, hasn't got any obvious injuries, then you need to help it to take off. And the best way to do that is never to throw it into the air. That's a very bad idea because that might mean it injures itself if it lands again after it's tried to take off. You need to hold it high up on your hands. So hold your hands into the air with it resting on your hands and just leave it like that for about 30 seconds. And if it's well enough, it will take off of its own accord because it can get and lift by being raised into the air. But if it doesn't take off, then you need to help it by getting in touch with a SWIFT expert. And there's a list of these on the SWIFT Conservations website under first aid. But if you live in Hampshire, the best places to contact are the Heart Wildlife Hospital and the Wildlife Hospital at Ringwood. They are both experts at looking after swifts. So if you find your bird doesn't take off after you've lifted it on your hands into the air for a while, then put it in something like a shoebox with a lid on to keep it calm 
and then get in touch with them. You can also get in touch with us. And if necessary, we will take it to these places. But they are very difficult birds to care for if you're not an expert. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's actually very easy to kill a swift or cause it such damage to its feather growth by feeding it the wrong sort of food mm-hmm. that they really, really need expert care. I can't stress that enough. So are swifts migratory? They are. They come here in usually the beginning of May from Africa and then they leave at the end of July, beginning of August. And so they're here for the shortest period of all our migrant birds, only three months. And the reason for that is that they rely on insects that are at their peak during that period. They can sometimes stay longer than that. Sometimes they stay as long as the beginning of September if they have to. So say if they have a disaster when they're breeding and need to start again, then they will stay here longer. But usually it's just that three-month period. Where do they go? You said Africa. Do you know anything more specifically about where? We do. We know... From studies that have put geolocators on swifts, we know that they spend most of the winter in the sort of Congo Basin area of Africa, so Central Africa. But they do move around quite a lot during that period. So sometimes they'll go as far over as Madagascar. But Mm -hmm. in general, that's the area they spend the winter in. Where's the best place to see them? Is there a place you'd recommend if somebody wanted to go out and look for them in Hampshire? There are quite a few really, really good places to see them. One of the most exciting places to go is actually the New Milton Estate in New Milton, which is quite a big council-owned estate where they have lots and lots of swift boxes and swift nest sites, largely artificial. And it's the most exciting place to watch swifts. If you go there in July, that's the best time, so the first three weeks of July, and you can hear the most wonderful screaming parties and what these huge numbers of swifts flying around at great speed so it's a really wonderful place to see them i'm going to put that in my diary (laughs) first three weeks of july new milton i think i think last summer they had about 80 nest sites there so it's just amazing so when you mentioned it was a place where they used to naturally nest, mm. what would have been their natural nest sites? Their then? natural nest sites are crevices and holes, usually high up under the eaves. So often in the gaps under the soffits, holes in roof tiles or gaps under roof tiles. They can nest in really amazingly small places, but they are usually places that are very, very vulnerable to being destroyed by any repairs to the roof or particularly when the soffits and fascias are replaced. If people decide, well, their old wooden soffits and fascias are rotting and they need replacing and they put plastic ones up, that can be a disaster for swift nest sites because often the access to the old nest site is just blocked off and really any sort of roof repair can be a disaster for swift but particularly anything that's near where the eaves are that's the level in the building in which they often nest that and in the roof what about before houses were around thousands and thousands of years ago swifts nested in holes in trees and in cliffs but hardly any of them do now. A few of them still do. There are, there are places in Scotland, in the Abernethy Forest, where they nest in old woodpecker holes. And in some of the ancient forests in Poland, they still nest naturally in holes in trees. And I think there are still some natural nest sites in cliffs where swifts nest in Dorset. 
But in general, those are very, very rare now. They really rely on humans to provide the buildings in which they nest. And that's a cause of their decline, really, because they've lost so many nest sites over the last 30 years or so as people have renovated their buildings or buildings have been demolished. Because modern buildings usually have no gaps or crevices for them to nest in because modern building techniques are designed to make houses very energy efficient So they just don't have the gaps that they used to have. Are swifts in decline? Are they endangered? They are. They've declined a massive amount. They've really undergone a catastrophic decline. In the UK as a whole, since about 1994, when the British Trust for Ornithology started recording their breeding bird survey, they've declined by 62%. But in the southeast of England, and that includes Hampshire, they've declined by 70%. So very, very worrying. And we think that loss of nest sites is the major cause, although we also know that insects are declining. So that's another potential cause. But as yet, there's no evidence that that decline is having an effect on SWIFT. There's been very little research done on this that's been published, but a study was published last year which looked at aphid populations over time and found no evidence to link that decline. There was a decline in aphid populations, but it didn't seem to relate to the decline in swifts. But clearly, if the insect decline goes on, then it's very likely that swifts will be affected. Are aphids a main food Aphid, source? No, they're just one of many. They eat a yeah. whole range of insects, mostly quite small insects that are found high up, what's yeah. known as aerial plankton. Mm. But aphids are one of their foods. Mm. We know what they eat because people have collected the boluses of insects that they feed their chicks to analyse so they can tell exactly what swifts are eating. And it's a, it's a very big variety of insects. But swifts also, unlike perhaps many other birds that rely on insects, they do have the ability to fly huge distances in order to find food. We know from tracking studies that they can fly up to 500 miles a day if necessary. And so wow. when weather's bad, which means it's more difficult to find insects, they can, if necessary, fly long distances and leave right. their chicks because their chicks can go into a sort of torpor when the parents are away for a long time, sort of lower their metabolism. And so they can cope with being left for a while while swifts go and look for food. So in general, we don't yet think that insects are a big problem, but loss of nest sites is a massive problem. Oh, that's really amazing that they can fly up to 500 miles in one day. Mm. So they're quite mobile compared to a lot of other bird species. They can go a long way to look for food if it's not available. So you've already talked quite a bit about there being a decline in swifts and them being very vulnerable to losing their nesting sites. And you've talked about these artificial nest sites being put in in Milton. So can you tell us a bit more about that and how can people get involved? What can people do to help? Well, anybody who's got a two-storey house can probably provide a suitable home for a swift by putting up a swift box. You need to have a house that's at least two storeys high. So bungalows are usually no good because they don't have the height. But provided you've got eaves which have a drop of at least four and a half metres below them and a clear drop, and you've got a wall that's got a nice open aspect with no trees too close, that could be a suitable site for a swift nest box. 
And that's because they fly straight into the nest box, isn't it? So they can't, you said they can't perch, so they can't go and sit in a tree and then fly into the box. Yes, absolutely. They need it to be as open as possible. So how, how can people get a nest box? Well, you can buy them online or we will come and put them up for you. We put boxes up for currently £35 a box. We supply and install it and we check your house first to make sure it's suitable for swift boxes. And we'll also advise you how to attract swifts by having a call player, which plays the duets that an established swift pair call to each other from the nest box. And that attracts swifts that are looking for nest sites. So they will, when they hear this noise, they will come and investigate. That's the main way to get a swift box, but you can also just go ahead and buy your own online. But we're always happy to advise people where best to put it. So people can just look up Hampshire Swifts and they'll... They can look up Hampshire Swifts and and email us as as a contact box on on the website. Yeah, I mean, that to me sounds really lovely, playing the call of a swift duet. You don't need to play them very loudly to attract swifts, but it is immensely effective. Over the last uh, two summers, we've been playing swift calls like this in the Bell Tower Winchester Cathedral, where we put 20 nest boxes a couple of years ago. And last summer, after the swifts had left, we went to check how many boxes had been occupied by swifts. And out of those 20, 18 had been entered by swifts and several had nests built in and some had had chicks reared. So, And that was all due to the call player. When they heard the sound of the swifts making their noises they came to investigate whether there was room for them nearby i mean that's a fantastic legacy isn't it for someone to leave for a relatively low cost of 35 pound to directly help this species i think it is i mean sometimes you do need to be patient because sometimes they don't find them instantly sometimes they will occupy them very quickly other times especially if you live in an area where there are no swifts nearby it may take a little longer Mm -hmm. to attract them but in general i think it's a very good way to not only help swifts but also to help other birds like swifts that are red listed because they're in danger of extinction in this country House sparrows are like that. They're red listed and they love swift boxes. And if you're lucky, you can get a timeshare going with swifts and house sparrows. So the house sparrows use them first. And then when the swifts return, they evict the house sparrows and then they nest in it. So what about the evicted house sparrows? What happens to them? Well, sometimes the evicted house sparrows, usually they finish their first brood by the time the swifts arrive. And I'm afraid sometimes that the swifts do destroy house sparrow nestlings and chicks in the process. But if you're lucky, that won't happen and you'll have both lots of birds at least getting at least their one brood. Because the swifts only have one brood, unlike house sparrows that usually can have three in a season. So these um, swift calls I'm intrigued by that you play on a player. Do you think people should be worried? Are they going to annoy the neighbours? I don't think so, because you don't need to play them very loudly to attract swifts. And the instructions we give people are not to play them very loudly, obviously to avoid annoying neighbours. And if you buy our call attraction system, it has a timer to switch them on just for set periods during the day. At times when we know swifts are more likely to be looking for nest sites, but it also has a volume control. We set it usually to have quite a low volume, so it won't disturb neighbours. 
In fact, people walking past them often think, oh, there are swifts nesting there. They don't realise it's actually yeah. a machine playing swift golf. <laughs> yeah, when you put it like that, it's a bit sad, isn't it, really, if somebody would get angry about the noise of bird call. It sounds yes. pretty miserable to get angry because, yes. oh, those damn birds. <laughs> yes. We very occasionally get people contacting us saying, my neighbour's playing swift calls too loudly. But that's nearly always because the person who's got the call player has, has turned the volume up too loudly. Obviously, if you live in an isolated place and you're not going to disturb anybody, you can play the calls quite loudly. But mm-hmm. if you live next door to people, I live in a terrace and I play swift calls and I play them quite quietly. But it's loudly enough that does attract them. They come and look at my boxes. Yeah. They haven't yet moved in, but I live in hope. <laughs> yeah, still waiting. Yes. So you mentioned about the duet. Am I right in thinking, do they pair for life? They do pair for life, yes. They start breeding when they're coming up to, in their fourth calendar year, third or three or four years old, and they do pair for life. They go their separate ways in the winter, but they meet up back at their nest site, the nest site they've chosen, because that's another thing we haven't talked about. Swifts are site faithful. So once they found a nest site, they use that forever or as long as it's available. And so that's one of the disasters when they come back from Africa and their nest site is no longer there because people have had their soffits replaced or the roof's been repaired or something else has happened to it because that's where they'd meet their mate. And so I don't quite know what happens in those circumstances, whether they find another mate and look for another nest. Well, they obviously do look for another nest site, but they might not find their old mate again. It kind of makes you realise then why you might have to be patient about getting some moving in because you need some to be turning up that happen to be looking for a site at the exact sort of year that you've put yours out. Well, they start when the when swifts come back, the first batch of swifts that come back at the beginning of May are ones that are going to all ready to breed that year. But then from about the third week of May onwards, younger swifts come back that aren't yet ready to breed, but are looking for a nest site. And those are what's known as prospecting swifts. And they spend most of the summer, but particularly the last week of June and the first three weeks of July, having a real search for nest sites. And so you'll see them flying along roof level, looking for nest sites. And they look at boxes, they can fly really close to the roof line, looking for likely nest sites. So those are the birds usually that you're hoping will take up residence in your swift box when they found a nest site they start building a sort of rudimentary nest already for the year the following year when they'll start breeding Mm -hmm. so when we look at the nest boxes we've put up in the cathedral at winchester and in the hospital of st cross where we've got 35 nest boxes now Mm -hmm. there are we see often nests that have been built but have not yet been bred in These are ones that are being used by younger birds that aren't yet quite mature enough to start breeding, but they're getting ready to start breeding. They're unique in this way because most birds, their nest is completely dispensable. They use it one year and then the next year they go somewhere else. But swifts are very different. They rely on having that known nest site that they can come back to. So you mentioned the nest boxes. Are there any other ways that people can help? Well, I think given the fact insects are so crucial to swifts, it's always important not to use pesticides. I think the more we can help insects, the better, because there are large numbers of birds that rely entirely on insects for food. So doing your bit for insects, encouraging insects into your garden and your allotment is definitely a good thing. 
encourage your neighbours to put up a nest box because swifts love to nest colonially. They like being in a street with lots of other nest boxes or lots of other nest sites. Great idea. And yeah, you were talking about pesticides then, but I was just thinking for most people who are just doing some gardening at home, probably what we're talking about here is weed killer, isn't it? And there's other things that you can do to help attract insects to the garden as well. I was thinking, have you heard of the campaign No Mow May? Yes, that is excellent, I think, for all birds that rely on insects. But when you go to meadows, like some of the places that the Wildlife Trust have got wildflower meadows, they're so beautiful. They go on looking beautiful all summer and they provide food for insects and for birds. So it's definitely something for people to look at. It's No Mow May and it's a campaign encouraging people not to mow their grass for the entire month of May. And the idea being that as the grass grows longer, you'll get more wildflowers popping up. So you're providing much more food and shelter for insects. And your garden will just be a much better place for insects, which is then going to support all the birds that we've been talking about. And it's so easy to do because you don't have to do anything. You just don't mow your lawn. And um, obviously, if you're worried about what the neighbours are going to think, you can just talk to them and maybe encourage them to join in as well. One more thing I did want to say that people could do, because what we really want is for developers to put swift bricks in all new houses. That's what's needed to provide homes for swift so that they always have enough nest sites. And that's a big part of our work. We comment on all the planning applications in Hampshire that are relevant. So anything for more than a few houses, at least two storey, we comment on and ask for swift bricks. And swift bricks are gradually becoming more common, but we need all developers to automatically put them in at least one per house. And so people could help by writing to their councillor, commenting on planning applications for anything that's happening in their area. All that helps, I think, to raise awareness that swifts need homes. And it's not just swifts that need homes in buildings. Other birds too rely on cavities in buildings. And so by putting swift bricks in, in fact, a whole range of cavity nesting species will use them. House sparrows, starlings, great tits, blue tits, even house martins. So they're really a very good thing. There's information about all of this on your website, isn't there? So if people do want to you know, start helping in any of the ways you've mentioned, they can look it up on your website. I mean, some developers are now doing it. Carla Holmes is a big developer. And after a big campaign by us, they've come up with this wonderful urban wildlife strategy where all their homes are getting a swift brick and they're putting in bee bricks and bat boxes as well. Mm. So, so that's, excellent. that's excellent. But we, want, yeah. we need everybody to do that. Thank you so much for joining me, Catherine. It's been so informative. I've learned so much about Swifts and in learning, you know, I really understand why you're so passionate about them. So thank you for sharing that with us. And when did you say the Swifts are going to start arriving back? When can people start to expect seeing them in their skies? Usually in this part of Hampshire, we tend to get them the first week of May is when they come back. Some people get them a bit earlier than that, which is really exciting. But last week of April... But personally, I always start looking out from the 1st of May. We'd love to hear your comments and thoughts. And if there's anything you'd like us to discuss in a future episode, let us know by dropping us a message on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Just search Hampshire Countryside Service and don't forget to follow for future updates. We'd really appreciate it if you rate and review our podcast. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Mm-hmm.